podcast. My name is Charles, and with me today, as always, is my lifelong friend and co-host, Dylan. I'm ready to talk some fantasy with my friend, Charles. I am ready to talk some fantasy with my friend as well, Dylan, and not just any fantasy today. Today, we got a big one, folks. It's you got that right. <laughs> literally, metaphorically, yes. page count wise, we've got a big one today, and you know from the title, of course, we're diving into one of the Stormlight Archive books. This is the last one that has been published as of the time of this recording. Book four, Rhythm of War. It always feels like a big moment when we have when we uh take on one of these books you know i've described it in the past as like in, in using movie industry speak of like one of those tent pole kind of episodes that just is is uh such a big topic to cover such a big moment in modern fantasy and uh here we are rhythm of war book four of the stormlight archive by brandon sanderson Yes, definitely one of the flagship shows for us whenever we get into mm. a huge series like this and one that we hope to be able to provide some enjoyment for those of you who are like us uh, now that we've read this one over 4,000 pages, perhaps getting close to 5,000 pages deep into this series. It's like a 60-hour um, so, audiobook. It's massive. <laughs> yeah. And it takes a lot of commitment to get that far in, so give yourself a pat on the back, and we'll hope to do you justice with our discussion here. We do want to give a bit of a heads up beforehand that... We are not Cosmere experts, <laughs> Charles and I. Uh, we, yeah. We've we read a lot, actually, mm-hmm. for what that's worth, but uh, we're, we're not doing too many deep dives into the copper mind. We're not, like, super uh, invested in all of the lore and how all of it fits together as much as, like, there's people out there who do cosmere exclusive podcasts i mean the whole thing is sanderson's work so we cannot expect to give you that level of deep dive in the next uh, you know somewhere from hour to hour 45 minutes that we'll probably be (laughs) doing this one Uh, but we are huge enthusiasts of sanderson's work we've read uh, i mean i've read i think everything in the cosmere at this point um Charles has read a bunch as well, so we're excited to, yeah, we're excited to get into Sanderson's biggest series out there. Right, one of the biggest in all of fantasy. I mean, I remember when this book came out, we were relatively new on the podcasting scene, but it was huge. It's it's the difference between like a home movie and then like a multi-million dollar Hollywood budget, like a freaking Avengers Infinity War, right? It's like that kind of scale of production that we're talking about in book form. I mean, even the like forward thank yous for this book was exceptionally long, just the amount of people that it takes <laughs> from every aspect of the business to get a book like this produced. I mean, obviously, Brandon Sanderson, he's like the director, but it, it, it takes literally an entire full-time team of people to, to make a production like The Rhythm of War 
possible and you really got to feel that in in the like forwards like author note thank you stuff at the beginning and it was a chapter in itself yeah sanderson has become an industry in himself basically like yes. he is uh, not only is he such a star from uh, his work working with Tor, but he's also got all those secret projects via the Kickstarter that he wrote just just for funsies during the pandemic. So, uh, I mean, this guy is keeping a lot of people employed at this yes. point, and uh, yeah, props to him for that he's and got all his the own other work. Business, Dragon Steel, that right. he produces a lot of the stuff under, as well as like merchandising and marketing and stuff like that. And uh, mm. and you see him; he's advocating for the industry. He was in the news around like audiobook royalties for a while there, yeah. and him using his influence to kind of champion better distribution of royalties for audiobooks which i thought was you know a really noble pursuit for him he made headlines recently with that wired article it was wired right that did that article yes wired was <laughs> yeah and then he wrote a response to that which is a whole another podcast oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that wired article i mean as crappy an article that it was because it was in such poor taste attacking Sanderson who clearly let the the wire reporter into his home and welcomed him and all of this kind of stuff and the guy just goes on to write an absolute hit piece on Sanderson yeah. <laughs> a hit piece on a guy who seems like one of the nicest guys in the industry so I, I, I don't really understand why anyone would choose to do that but yeah that probably got a lot of attention on sanderson i saw social media was uh, going wild over that uh, mostly criticizing the article but uh the bummer about the whole thing is that that article probably got a ton more clicks than if it was just a straightforward <laughs> uh like hey here's Brad sanderson he seems like a great guy he writes good books and Here's what's going on. So that's anyway, true. But honestly, guy, we'll talk about that later. But I think he came out ahead on that one. He wrote a really nice essay later on about why he writes the way Sanderson, he does, why he's yeah. perceived the way he does. And I think his fans, you know, rallied behind him in a strong showing more than if it was just another boring article. So it has its place. You know, obviously, I wish it wasn't written at all, but it, it has its. It, it Sanderson was able to like was able to come back from something like that and that's only because of the the you know massive love and support he's gotten he's got his own conventions too that thousands of people attend and things like that so <laughs> just to like just to feel like we're attempting to plug into all of this and it's like it, it, it's a whole <laughs> world on its own there's dedicated podcasts to that do like Cosmere stuff, ex Mind stuff exclusively that if you want to get into the lore, we can do that, but they can do that. I mean, but uh, we're here to just, you know, we're two friends talking fantasy over here. We read the book. We'll talk chopping about it. Chopping it up. Chopping it up. You know, scatting uh, the scuttlebutt. You know how it is over here. Uh. <laughs> and uh, if we forget a character, a main character's name every once in a while, which will probably happen, we just ask for a little grace on that. It all comes from love. Um I hope to be able to get all the main characters. Me too, names me too. But I want to give ourselves that buffer I, just in yeah, case. A secondary, you know, 
a Renarin of the world, uh, that <laughs> that could get messed up. We're definitely going to get some facts wrong as we attempt to uh, express our thoughts and opinions. So it's a little grace on that. But uh, you know, we are big fans, and we're, we're going to come at it from love. And before we get any deeper into it, I think we got to finally drop that uh, spoiler warning. Yeah, so we're going to be covering Rhythm of War in a no-holds-barred, spoiler-filled conversation when it comes to the Stormlight Archive. So if you haven't read all four books out in the Stormlight Archive yet and you don't want anything spoiled, now is a good time to turn this down in your headphones. Uh, We've got episodes on all the previous books if you've read those, too, so... Yeah, we're pumped to actually be able to get into this. Three books. Isn't this book four? Oh, what did I say? You said two books, I think. Oh. See, we're already yeah. getting stuff wrong. Either but way. We're in it now. We're in it now. I know and how many books there are. <laughs> yes, yes, I know you do. But I was like, we, we've done all the books up to this point. And we did the, the um, you know, Edge Dancer as actually, well. I, actually, I skipped Words of Radiance. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that make, I have to go back and listen to that, that episode now. You're just like, yeah. good point. Yeah, keep going. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you talked for an hour and 42 minutes straight. <laughs> I just read, oh, just that, that, that's probably right. So I just read Edge yeah. Dancer twice. You know, I figured that would get me through what I needed to know. And, um, and here we are. What's interesting about this book <laughs> is I, I want to talk about the forward because it's going to bring me into my first question for you, Dylan. But to contextualize the whole conversation it was fascinating he's like okay so stormlight archive in my mind is two five book arcs right so we're ending book four which means if he sticks to his schedule which he's not beholden to do but he's even as of this book still planning on it um is, is that the next book will end an arc right so there's a lot of stuff happening there and he said there's some moments that he's been thinking about that take place at the end of this book with wit uh, and all that for 20 years so we've called this book a production already but to just keep in mind how much effort work time went into us being able to read this it, it is very rare that a book has gone through that much of a process so here we are um just wanted to kind of put that into perspective of where we are in the Stormlight Archive. But the other thing that caught my mind listening to the forward, Michael Kramer reading it, I was like, man, it's 10 minutes just of all the forward stuff. But there was one that caught my eye, and I knew right away, I was like, I have to ask Dylan about this. When he's thanking people, one of the people he thanks is an expert on dissociative identity disorder. And he said their Mm. raw feedback on how to get better at how I represent mental illness in the books is what Sanderson was thankful for with this person. And I was like, oh my gosh, Dylan, you have a background in, in studying uh, clinical whatever, psychology. And uh, I was like, and we had <laughs> talked in Clinical depth. whatever psychology. <laughs> yes, I'm very excited to finish my PhD program on and get finally get that degree in clinical whatever psychology. It's, uh, no, I'm, I'm in counseling psychology, counseling okay. psychology, PhD counseling. program. I always say clinical, I don't know why. Mm-hmm. Counseling. Well, those so, are, yeah, they're similar programs. Clinical okay. psych PhDs are... Yeah, you know, I think. should be getting it right. You've been working hard at it for a while now. But we had talked in depth about um, Brandon Sanderson's kind of embrace of mental illness or psychology just in general 
in the last book, especially around Shallan. Uh, but in this book, it seems to take a much bigger role. And I think Sanderson has even as as recently as the essay he wrote in response to some of these articles he's been mentioned in has been really embracing this idea of mental health and psychology and using that as a framework to kind of write a more modern fantasy story. This is someone who wrote the last three books of Wheel of Time, right? And so he's been spanning so much of the fantasy genre. And so now today he's actively doing research, especially on, I thought it was interesting, he mentioned specifically dissociative identity disorder. But I, I wanted to make sure we carve some time at the beginning to talk about just um, the psychology and the books in general because we have a lot of things in here. And since you are our leading expert on the show, I uh, wanted to kind of get your feedback on, on some of the things that you read in this book as someone in the trenches of uh, reading all the research and in practicing and in studying and in some cases teaching some of this stuff. Yeah, I'll say that one of the reactions I had when I was reading this one is it felt like Sanderson was always trying to deal with mental illness in this series in particular like a lot of what it seems like makes people radiance are are like the pain that they've dealt with and the distress that they've suffered and how they work not even necessarily to overcome it because I, I would say few if any of our characters like overcome the struggles mm -hmm. at least to this point but they are constantly fighting that battle which which is a I think a great way to illustrate mental illness rather than this like and then I like started glowing like a radiant and I was cured yeah. like, for the most part <laughs> then I Sanderson. just got over it and I have never yeah. been better would they call it like right. I know the phrase break breakthrough is used a lot right it's almost like speaking an ideal is like a breakthrough <laughs> yeah oh for sure and it's it's interesting because I would say the way that Calden struggles with depression, for example, is a lot more like someone who uh, has depressive episodes is it's a lot more like how Calden kind of like has uh, he takes uh, uh, two step two steps forward and one step back if you're taking mm -hmm. the right steps. And, and I would say even dove into what seemed like PTSD uh, with Calden as well. So I was kind of like. Okay, Saracen always was trying to approach these things. It felt like in between uh, um, Oathbringer and Rhythm of War, someone put a DSM, which is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental <laughs> Disorders. Uh, it's like someone put a DSM in Sanderson's hands and was like <laughs> helping him. Yeah, probably this expert on dissociative identity disorder was uh, aiding him in some of that because it was like, it felt more like, at least for me as someone who's like familiar with the criteria of these diagnoses, it felt more like Saracen was kind of like checking them off more explicitly rather than just working through like, oh, I know when people are depressed, they experience anhedonia or like, you know, lack of pleasure or interest. Uh, it's like uh, he more explicitly was like, looking at those criteria and trying to use those rather than like uh, you know depressed people are sad a lot it's like right. i yeah i and i felt like i'm glad he's 
using an expert. It's funny. I, I mentioned dissociative identity disorder in our episode on Oathbringer, if right. you remember. And I was like, it's a controversial disorder. A lot of people don't even believe it exists, although it is in the DSM and considered a legitimate diagnosis by, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the primary uh, methods of determining what is legitimate in uh, psychology and psychiatry there. So, like, the, the way I view it then is I, I consider it real. And it's mm-hmm. what people used to, like, call or, like, still colloquially will call multiple personality disorder. That's not the actual name of the disorder. But if you if you folks at home are wondering, like, what is dissociative identity disorder? It's the Shalon stuff. Right. Uh, and you can tell Sanderson... There's even a part where he's talking about uh, like the way that Shalon is showing symptoms uh, that seem to be like dissociative identity disorder. Uh, and she like looks in previous records of it and she even notes like, oh, I don't really have the memory loss that other people seem to suffer from, which is mm. like memory loss is a, a huge thing. Uh, right. Is present for those, so it's almost like it did feel like Terrence. It was like, oh, the expert told me that you'd have memory loss, but Shalon, I haven't really done that, and I didn't really consult the expert before, so I'll have her look into yeah. this and like. So was, I appreciate all that effort to be legitimate there. Um, I, I have more to say about kind of the Cal didn't becomes group therapist guy uh, <laughs> as well, but I'll, I'll I'll pause for a second here. No, I think that's well said. It's it's interesting to me from like the the Shalon perspective. I know we had talked, and it's so funny because we had talked about the associative identity disorder, but it wasn't like explicitly mentioned. I don't think in any of Brandon Sanderson's no. stuff in that book, and then in this one, it's not specifically mentioned that it's tied to Shalon. But she's the one where it's like, "Can Vale come out and speak now? I'd like to speak to Vale." You know, like those those, uh, those <laughs> old movies where you're talking to someone Which with split not, personalities. Yeah. <laughs> right, and it is not usually anything like that when folks are dealing right. with dissociative identity disorder. You're not like, "All right, I'm Shalon, and I'm like ta- tagging you in, Vale." Right. Like it's the WWE. Right. It's uh, usually not as like deliberate and you don't construct the personality as like oh i need a new personality i'm gonna go make one which is kind of how like radiant got formed so there are little things especially that seemed off earlier uh that sanderson now that he's working with an expert is trying to address more because it's like veil is like someone who now it's more explicit that veil is like I formed as a way of protecting you, which is one of the like dominant theories as to why people develop these personalities is like overwhelmingly those with dissociative identity disorder have suffered intense trauma often in childhood. And it's believed that these personalities are developed as a way of like putting someone who's uh, quote unquote stronger and can then handle all of this trauma while like the main personality, the Shawan in this scenario uh, is protected. So that's uh, uh, yeah. Like that's more explicit that veil is like Shawan. I was here to protect you and now you don't need protecting from the thing I was protecting you from. So see you later. Uh, Goodbye. Well, it's really like, (laughs) 
yeah, consolidating the personalities, <laughs> which is also one of the ways that folks, uh, dissociative identity disorder is so rare and, like I said, controversial that most of the stuff is not, like, intensely researched. And uh, this is more like how people think about it without knowing for sure. But one of the ways that people think is, like, a good way to treat it is to try to consolidate the personalities uh, into one, like, solidified person again. Um, So... Even that, Sanderson seems to be like, oh, Shalon is working toward healing by bringing Vale back into herself. So all that, yeah, seems like Sanderson has been really working to try to do this the right way. Yeah, and I think that's important to note, right? It's not a one-to-one, like her, her different personas are not necessarily dissociative identity disorder. I think there's some interesting things about like imposter syndrome kind of stuff that's with her and some other characters in this book like navani for example yeah. has some interesting navani, stuff like yeah, that definitely um and there's also like just being a teenager and exploring different like personalities without mm. thinking of them as we talked you. about that last we talked time. about that yeah we talked because i now. think when i was talking yeah I think when I was talking about it in Oathbringer, I was like, I don't really think it's dissociative identity disorder. Right. And I don't think right. Sanderson wants to like wade into those waters because it's difficult to portray and controversial. And then he gladly, <laughs> uh, I guess he was waiting because, you know, and there's a lifeguard uh, as yeah. that, you know, that's the expert. Yeah, right. So, yeah, but I was thinking maybe it is just kind of a more intense version of what we all do when we're teenagers, which is like try on different versions of ourselves to fit different scenarios and groups of people. But Sanderson leaned much more into the like, no, it seems like it's closer to dissociative identity disorder is a fantasy world. So maybe it doesn't have to be exact. (laughs) Right, right. But there's some things that. I appreciate that he does write, and I think it's a reason why, with his rising fame, I I think a large part of that is how he's been able to write some of these more challenging parts and embrace, like, taking on characters with more challenging aspects of their mental health and bringing, like, mental health into the forefront of some of the plot lines and arcs for these characters and I think a lot of fantasy fans really have resonated with that and latched onto that. I can't tell you how many like Reddit threads I've seen or articles and researching for this book that I've seen where people really feel an emotional connection with some of the struggles and some of the realizations that these characters go through, not just like fighting the big bad, but realizing that maybe they need help or voicing some of their like breakthrough moments that they needed to have and I think it's that connection and that ability to like have a deft hand and be respectful of the like experts around mental health to bring that into your characters that has helped Sanderson amass like the following that he has beyond just being a prolific fantastic author I think people have really responded to um, some of these like mental health initiatives that he's kind of adopted into his character arcs. For sure. And I don't know if fantasy or sci-fi fantasy fans are any more um, likely to be dealing with mental illness than any other 
<laughs> like group the of people folks. I've but talked I, to. I will say, like in <laughs> right. Well, I'll say intuitively, and I think um, uh, Sara El Arifi, who we interviewed a while back, Sunday Times bestseller, uh, mm-hmm. who has a, a new book coming out. She was you know, she wrote the final strife a while back, and now the battle drum is mm-hmm. uh, uh, marching. You like that? Ooh. Marching toward publication date. Uh, I do in, like that. Um, yeah, in a month, I think, right? In May? Yeah, anyway. I think it's coming out in yeah. May. Yeah, so I, I think she kind of got at this when we were interviewing her where she felt like uh, like part of why she loves the fantasy community is that a, a lot of times it's folks that kind of retreated into this uh, uh like this way of, uh, I guess, uh, escaping, like the escapism mm-hmm. aspect of it that people talk about all the time. And uh, they're people who have uh, dealt with a lot of crap a lot of times. And that's why they will often gravitate toward uh, that kind of escapism. And folks who deal with that kind of crap a lot of times are people who can empathize and who can like see why it's important to be kind. And I think that a community who has a lot of folks like that definitely can see themselves in the struggles that our heroes in Sanderson's work, especially the Stormlight Archive, are dealing with. So I, I love that Sanderson's tapping into that. I agree. And one of the other things that I'm like, like maybe he does or doesn't represent actual dissociative identity disorder perfectly with Shalon. But as he starts to like talk about it with other characters, and I want to just kind of now bring us back to kind of part one, let's go to Kaladin. Um, and especially in part one, one of the things that I really liked was that he was able to have a really good control over the perspective of the character and the conversations around mental health. Like so many times you see it and it's like so obvious and tragic and overblown or sometimes linked with like people committing crimes or acts of violence or something like that. But I like that in this perspective, all of a sudden he's like marching out into the field. He's like, what's up everybody. And they just look at him and it's like, you need to like retire, bro. And he's surprised by that and he doesn't fully understand it and Dalinar's like I've seen other people go through what you're going through like we can all see it even though you're denying it and this and that and that was a great way to kind of bring us into Kaladin for this book for his arc right where he ultimately speaks the fourth ideal of kind of accepting some of these things right so it was nice to start with that use of perspective of the character and kind of being surprised by being kind of almost this like intervention of sorts but not really of just people around him telling him like you've been through a lot there's no shame in taking a break for yourself and realizing that war is a traumatic horrible thing and like you don't have to be on the front lines for every single battle to play your part even though you've done all these incredible things and we we've used you as a tool maybe for too long and i thought that was a really strong opening to kaladin's like story in this book i really i really appreciated that i think that was like the best execution of mental health in the whole book if i'm being honest in my opinion anyway yeah i mean especially someone like kaladin you often need the folks around you who are noticing those changes to uh, to point these things out and 
you, you can go through that denial and Calden's mm. entire identity is basically centered around this idea of being a soldier and being a radiant and fighting out there. And mm. he cares so much about protecting folks. It's actually, I think, the idea that he might not be able to like do what he has to do to protect people when he's mm. out there because of his, I believe they call battle shock. Uh, in, yeah this book i mean mm-hmm. that kind of sounds like uh, shell shock which is what they used to call ptsd back in mm-hmm. like the uh, post one or something world war two yeah either way um so yeah it seems like it that's a pretty realistic depiction it's kind of interesting it's a departure from what you might expect when you're reading the way of kings and by the time that comes to an end you're like oh calden's arc is gonna be all based around him being a soldier him being a fighter him protecting people and to see this moment i never would have expected Calden retires from uh, <laughs> right. from being a soldier and decides to try his hand at surgery. And <laughs> I was surprised by that, but it's interesting sure. and realistic for everything that Calden's gone through. We have so many heroes in fantasy who just watch so much like horrible stuff happen around them, experience so much trauma, lose so many people close to them. They're like, all right, on to the next battle. It feels like that's the most standard way that it's depicted, right? Most right. characters in fantasy, they like lose their best friend in a battle. And like, that was really bad. Like, I'm mad now and I'm going to go fight harder. It's like, that right. is not the most typical reaction. Yeah, to or fuels them into the like a drive for vengeance or something. It's like a yeah. motivator to keep them going. In a lot of cases, exactly. if you've watched certain Marvel movies, you'd be like, oh, my mom died. Now I'm going to be the villain for everyone forever. It's like, OK, interesting. <laughs> you mean every Marvel movie? <laughs> like, interesting motivation. The one where, yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a pretty recent Marvel movie that uh, definitely used that device a lot. Uh, yeah. It's like both the main villain much. and the main character had right. their, like, their, their moms die so that the characters could be motivated <laughs> yeah. to do anything. You're right. Like, okay, we can like, mix we can... up the motivation. <laughs> Although it's better than, was it like Iron Man 2 or Iron Man 3 where the main villain's motivation was like that Iron Man was mean to him at a conference? Oh, do you remember yeah. that one? I don't remember which movie it was, but I do remember that for sure. It might have been two. Yeah. I mean, it's Marvel's like... not known for its fantastic villains. I mean, <laughs> my favorite is Thanos, obviously, but the, the, there's few oh, and yeah. far between. <laughs> but exactly right. It's like using, and that's like, you know, an, an interesting motivation. Like, how do you get people to keep going? And, and I think it's a progressive thought to say, you know, I can't protect everyone there's people that i won't be able to protect but i can still like lend myself to the effort you know to the war effort and i can still protect other people and i can still find meaning in things that aren't like the one thing i think i'm good at fighting i I, like the sense of fulfillment that calden had at the beginning of practicing medicine was 
was a, a nice twist, and he was working. He's getting back, and he was connecting with his family. He was keeping himself busy. He was helping people, like, and that was fulfilling for Calvin for a long time, until of course the the violence calls. He can, couldn't shake it forever, <laughs> and then he kind of fell yeah. out of good graces with his dad there for a second. Yeah, that was an interesting way that all that went. I don't know how much I was. I was just, I was buying the way that his dad was reacting to some things. Like when he totally disowns Calden when he, because Calden like basically killed someone he had to kill. And it's like, okay. I don't know. It's like, you did it in my surgery room. It's like, that's the line. (laughs) I had to look at it and that was room Where it occurs. Yeah. (laughs) So, um, I don't know. That wasn't the strongest aspect of Kaladin's storyline, in my opinion. But mm-hmm. I, I like to see him sort of going through. It's like, again, it feels almost like Sanderson took like an intro to psych class or like a history of psych class or something <laughs> here. Because he's, he's he definitely seems to be drawing from with Kaladin how he... Uh, like he finds all these folks who are just like sitting in the dark dealing with mental illness. And he's like, we need to stop just locking these people up in boxes and then assuming that somehow that helps them get better. We have to like work with them and basically do the equivalent of therapy with them and empathize and blah, blah, blah. Cause it's like, mirrors the way that we move from just like locking people up in asylums to now more modern ways of thinking about helping folks with mental illness so uh yeah it's it's an interesting plot line i will say despite my appreciation for it there is still part of me that was like can we get calda back out there not that (laughs) i thought that that was like a thing that made sense for the character, what he was going through. I feel like that was accurately depicted, but there is part of me that's like, oh, we have this like amazing warrior and he's kind of on the sidelines for probably 800 pages. And yeah, yeah so it, it makes it tough. I'm kind of ambivalent about the whole thing because there's like, this is realistic. I like that Sanderson's going this way. And also the like, uh, I love awesome Kaladin fight scenes, and we don't <laughs> really get that uh, in, until later. Some, yeah, there's like the squaring off with Moash and squaring off with yeah. um, that you know that guy that keeps coming back to life. Being the like, pursuer or whatever. Yeah, the pursuer. It's like you keep trying, buddy. I don't think it's gonna work out for you, but uh, keep at it. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, everyone's gotta have a, a hobby, you know. So that was his. <laughs> And it, maybe the, take up stamp collecting. Yeah, instead. it's just Sanderson's action sequence moments are just so strong that it's like we need those, you know, to keep us to keep us satiated over here. At least I do anyway. And we got some good ones. Like I like the whole Moash like stuff at the end and basically this thing the stuff that happened with Tef too I liked and that was another one too that was dealing with like substance abuse stuff and alcoholism and this and that and um unfortunately wasn't able to 
to make it at the end, but I do like how that tied into his. I like Teff too. I can't save everyone. So yeah, Teff was a loss. That was a tough loss. Yeah, that that one hit me and probably hit me harder than if you just told me at the start of the book you're like Teff dies in this one. I'd be like, that's a bummer. But I don't know <laughs> something about the way it was written and how it happened. I it actually you know hit me in the feels. Yeah. A little harder. I, I guess I do like that Sanderson has created a sort of kryptonite for the Radiance at this point because it was starting to feel like they're too invincible. Mm-hmm. I think that because it's just like those moments where Shalon and Callan just like fall off a cliff and they're just like, all right, we're good. And then people are like getting their limbs cut off and they're like, yeah, I'll just grow that back. It was yeah. like, uh, it's kind of taking away from some of the stakes. So I think Sanderson, he he's always so talented at seeing the pieces he has on the board and knowing when he has to take one off to, to make a certain point. And I feel like Teft doubles up as the, like, this is the perfect person to get Kaladin to reach that fourth mm-hmm. ideal and realize, like, there are people I, I can't protect. And it's also a way to show like, hey, just because these people are radiance now does not mean they're invincible and they can die and people you care about can die. So, you know, keep being somewhat on edge when they're fighting. I like that. Yeah, me too. And yeah, I, I think another part of losing Tef that was so hard was that he was like on the upswing in his like, redemption and his recovery right and he wasn't quite there yet but he was you know someone you were really rooting for who was taken right at his most like optimistic potential time after last book he was pretty much struggling the whole time (laughs) but um yeah it was it was it was a tough loss but that's what's you know that's sanderson's skill you know you're four books in you're like 10 you're like you know 20,000 pages deep into the story and you're and you're still getting the feels and the surprises and the loss and everything like that it's like he's still you know he's got tricks up his sleeve still even after all this time so yeah i thought that was great yeah and calden i i I like the attention he got in this one and the arc he gets because it's it's interesting how in these books you like you'll get characters that get a lot of focus in certain ones and then they'll just like take a back seat for a full book which when the books are over a thousand pages it's like it's weird to come away like in this one i came away being like what what did dalinar do (laughs) and that's a lot of pages to read to be like did that character not do a lot and i kind of feel (laughs) that way about about dalinar's arc in this one or like yeah he came in to save kaladin a couple times like blew him back off the cliff when he jumped and then uh, sent him the vision of tn also at the end he didn't develop as a character really which is okay because we got so much focus on him in the previous book previous Mm -hmm. book was like his book so Mm -hmm. i understand why he takes a back seat and there's kind of there almost seems to be a pattern of that if i'm remembering correctly where does Kaladin kind of take a backseat in Words of Radiance it's like the book after your book you kind of <laughs> don't get as much focus 
So yeah, it makes it sense. Definitely is a but, balance here. Yeah. Well, shall we get into some of these other characters and storylines here, Charles? Yeah. I, who are you thinking? I'm kind of thinking Navani. Well, what are you thinking? Sure, Navani definitely goes to the forefront in this book in a way that I I did not expect. I remember when we no. did our episode way back. Um, <laughs> this had to be like over two years ago. Um, our favorite mothers in fantasy, Charles. It was like a Mother's Day, like around Mother's oh, Day or something. Did you we put did Navani forward this? in there? I put Navani. I put Navani oh, in wow. there. Oh, wow. I so, don't remember that at yeah. all. <laughs> oh, yeah. So it's... Uh, I've always been a fan of Navani, and I like that she... And that was before you read this book. Yes. So I always... Yeah, when I picked that, I was like, I'd like to see more Navani because she is really a secondary character throughout. And here's where you know I'm not a Cosmere expert. I don't think she's had a point of view before this. uh, Like... I don't really remember that happening, but it's certainly possible that Maybe it does. Maybe she had if one it, of those interludes or something. Sure. Yeah. But in this, she is, I mean, she does more than Dalinar. I'll tell Way you that more. much. Way more. And, yeah, and that's something I never would have expected. When it comes to that couple, I thought that Dalinar would always be the one who we're getting way more screen time for, but it's Navani in this one. Her struggle is one of primarily imposter syndrome, which feels like that's like, uh, it's like a huge thing in the public consciousness right now. I feel like imposter syndrome is like something everyone's talking about because uh, it is something that I think the vast majority of us experience in uh, some realm of our life or multiple realms in our lives. So I think it's interesting to see Sanderson approaching that imposter syndrome for the record, not an actual disorder. I kind of don't like the name, honestly, like imposter syndrome makes it sound like it's a disease. It's not. Uh, So either way, I have actually someone in my lab is doing work on I'm trying to remember what they're calling it because they were like didn't like the name either. So they called it like imposterism or something, but <laughs> a more sciencey way of saying it. But anyway, yeah, it's interesting to see Sanderson approaching another sort of mental health, mental health adjacent topic. Navani's struggle is that she doesn't feel like she's a scholar, and it starts with uh, Gavilar, who's apparently a total. Can I say ass? <laughs> I, yeah, I think so. Right? As long as long as I don't imply that that might have an orifice after. Oh yeah, you don't um, say that. No, I oh. can't. No orifices, but I can say no. ass. Uh, yes. Gavilar is an ass, uh, apparently. It, so he's like, "You're not a scholar," and other stuff. I can't mm-hmm. remember the other aspects. It's like, I'm the king. She's like, you just sit there and look pretty. You know, that's kind of like the <laughs> pro- how the prologue went. Yeah, so she's struggling with it throughout, and it's, I don't know if I, it was a lot of time for her to get to the point where she's actually feeling like she's a scholar, and that was kind of the payoff, uh, or the real payoff was uh, 
what she say a like journey before destination you bastard to Moash. yeah that yeah, was a cool, Mo- that was a yeah. cool yeah. <laughs> like that was the best but, sworn I don't know. Deal yet. yeah gone <laughs> it gives yeah, me like uh, definitely you know, there's scenes at the end of harry potter that give me the same vibes of like yeah yeah you're root for like the mom getting revenge you know and it's and it and it, and it is just as badass as anything Kaladin could ever do you know like that's kind of the thing that genuine moment that you're like go 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 it's definitely rooting yeah. for her i was you know very impressed but she was doing impressive stuff from the beginning you know she was making flying ships and she was managing an entire right. team of scientists and like she's having all these breakthroughs she's going toe to toe yeah which for the record now. is like she likes to or like she was always being like well i'm more administrating and like I contribute some, but I kind of direct other people in what to do. So I'm not a scholar, which is like so strange to me as someone in academia where it's like that much more resembles the role that like a professor (laughs) who is a scholar would have in their lab where they're directing other people to do more of the minutia. So I would say the professor is the one who's most considered the scholar. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, there's part of me... This could either be considered a bug or a feature of her storyline. There was part of me where I was like, Navani, I like I'm really struggling to buy at this point after yeah. you know nine hundred pages. <laughs> you're still struggling with this, uh, right? And so as an, it's another one of those things where I'm like, that's probably accurate mm-hmm. because we know there are people who like have accomplished a preposterous amount in their field, you know, ridiculously accomplished authors, let's say to stay on point here who still experience that imposter syndrome. uh, When anyone who looks from the outside is like, how could that person possibly be feeling imposter syndrome? Right. Right. And at the same time, then it's like when you're reading it in a book for 900 pages, there's part of you that's like, ah, just get it. Just get that I this thing. So it gives me very like much, I'm just a shepherd direction. from the two rivers vibes. It's like, <laughs> it's like, Rand, that ship sailed 10,000 pages ago, 20,000 pages ago. Like, it's time to accept that you're the chosen one, you know? Like, you're like wielding and giant power sword you know it's like let's go like you're not the sh- you're <laughs> never the shepherd from the two rivers from when we've known you you never ever were and you could arguably say the same thing for Nirvana. like the minute we get her pov she's like built a flying warship and is managing a team of scientists it's like okay but i'm not a scholar though not me and, and to your point dylan from her perspective that's on par with what you'd expect from someone to have that opinion of themselves but as a, you know, Sanderson is usually one to be on the forefront of the reader's experience. So it's interesting that he kind of shifts priorities a little bit. Not to say that it was any better or worse than if he had done something else. It's just very much those, I'm just a shepherd from the two rivers vibes. It's like, bro, you're like six foot two, jacked, blue eyes. Like, come on, man, you're not. <laughs> like, this is, you're the textbook hero. <laughs> Let's keep it moving, you know? Yeah, I agree with that, Charles. And I know that, and we won't get into spoilers for it, but there's an aspect of of Sazed's point of view Mm. in Mistborn where Sanderson has received 
similar critiques, like uh, where his illustration of something that a character is struggling with internally is pretty accurate to the actual experience of it. And at the same time, it's like, is this really still happening? Like, can we... Right. Can we go? But so that's I don't interesting know. because that character the... was a servant, you know, and, for, and like they're whole hardwired to serve other people in that story. But I guess yeah, it's, been it's so not long the same. It's not Mistborn. the imposters. Yeah, no, it's not the imposter syndrome thing. I just don't want to spoil. It's a yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fine. It's another kind of internal experience. That anyway, that did feel. Uh, I'm just trying to be as vague as possible to not oh, yeah, spoil this, even though like. St- Probably like eighty five percent of the people rhythm of war yeah. is probably who've read the rhythm of war. We're not going to assume that. Yeah. yeah, and even if there was one so, person anyway, that had done that, then we did the right thing, you know. Yes, you're welcome, one person. And <laughs> I hope you're happy. <laughs> it's your fault yeah. for doing this. You're welcome. Yeah, <laughs> you're welcome, Craig. Mistborn. Yeah, thanks a lot, Craig. Right. <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> lots Don't of go read lots of great already. <laughs> Craig. Yeah, you really should read Mistborn, Craig. I mean, if you're reading Rhythm of War, I mean, I would say that you could have read Mistborn, Mistborn like three times in the amount of times you we just read Rhythm of War. Yeah, and Mistborn Era One, for the record, still my favorite. Sanderson work. I would agree. I, imagine I would agree. As well. Even up against Stormlight, which I know is such the darling right now. It's like you can't. The magic of Mistborn is yet to be replicated in Sanderson's work, in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, the delivery in Mistborn. Mm-hmm. I mean, this isn't, this isn't a Mistborn uh, episode. <laughs> Although I feel like we should like do Mistborn again or something at some point because it's like our first book we ever covered that's how much we love mistborn is we're like that's the place to start this thing and the problem is when you start with one of your favorite books that you really want to cover and you have no idea what you're doing in terms of podcasting at that point you maybe don't produce your absolute best (laughs) work on a book that deserves so much like dylan you have such imposter syndrome right now i'm sure the episodes (laughs) are great (laughs) i'm not a podcaster charles i'm just (laughs) i just record these for fun about 220 times (laughs) you know right (laughs) yeah uh, I just anyway, talked to Jobber Crumby so, once, okay? That's all. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> um, I'm not a podcaster officially until we get Sanderson on here. That's, that's uh, true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then I'll admit I'm a podcaster. And, that, and I'll be like, <laughs> I'll be like, uh, <laughs> thanks for listening, you bastards. <laughs> <laughs> But maybe instead, Dylan, you'll never get him, but you'll say, I'll accept that there'll be those I cannot interview. And then you will ascend (laughs) into into podcasting That's the fourth ideal. (laughs) Fourth ideal of podcasting, for sure. (laughs) That's pretty good. Uh, Navani, Life before downloads, that's the first. (laughs) (laughs) Life before downloads. Good. That's good. You got more? (laughs) Uh, I kind of forget all the other ideals, but <laughs> that's the, those are the two. <laughs> Life before yeah, downloads is the first. This. I'm only that far. I don't know. I haven't spoken the other ones yet. <laughs> yeah. 
I'm trying to think if there's a journey before destination one, but I, I got nothing. Mm. Anyway, come back, Navani. <laughs> Navani. We do have like a ten whole book moments. to discuss on the show. <laughs> yes, <laughs> she bonds the sibling. And she does. That's that's a big deal, and huge. She, yeah, she also oh, kills. Although it's kind of. It's kind of interesting how her whole thing plays out where uh, she's like working pretty closely with um, God, uh, Raboniel. Rab- yeah, Raboniel, Raboniel. Yeah, Raboniel. Uh, Rab- anyway, Rab- it's yeah. uh, R-A-B-O-N-I-E-L, Raboniel. Oh, working pretty closely and we get this kind of like Raboniel gets... I don't know if humanized is the best word for what Raboneo is, <laughs> but right. definitely, like, you see another side of Raboneo, and Raboneo helps Navani, like, come to terms with this idea of being a scholar. Uh, and then Navani kind of mercy kills Raboneo. Like, I don't know. Yeah, it's kind it of interesting like thing. That. It was interesting. I like that throughout. It kind of reminded me of Emperor's Soul a little bit, where you've got like the captor and the captee, but they also respect mm. each other as peers, but they still try and like subterfuge each other's. Yeah, between right? Sanderson's work. <laughs> By the way, Emperor's Soul is so freaking good. Yeah, Emperor's Soul and is like awesome. quick. Yeah, yeah. It's like a four-hour audio way back. You could listen to that. Yeah, like we... twenty times. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe you should, because that's a fuck. Oh, oh, that was a close one. <laughs> that was a close one. <laughs> that's a freaking <laughs> wow. I'm pretty good usually, but I don't know. I'm like that was I'm riled up for something I know. today. We're, we're charged and ready to go today. Yeah, it's a big day. We're talking Sanderson. It's a, you know not every day where we get to discuss a Stormlight Archive novel, and with that comes some yeah. excitement. But that's a freaking good book. <laughs> Clean rating maintained. <laughs> clean, clean rating achieved. Yeah, Emperor's Soul is great. Yeah. And if you if you haven't read that, but you've read this, read it and then remember the Navani Rabin Yell um, arrangement <laughs> here because um, I don't know. I, I I was like, it's kind of the same vibe of like when when Navani like tries to make set something to explode while she's holding it, you know, stuff like that. You're like, oh, that's kind of fun. <laughs> but yeah, I like that part of this you know and you're going up against an enemy who's like an immortal being too that's another interesting piece to this it's like can you can a human be a mortal human being stand up to someone who's lived and relived and relived for thousands of years and has been like single-handedly trying to defeat humanity for a long time so uh, quite the opponent true charles you ever do a little little betting, ever? A little sports betting? Uh, I've, yeah, I've never actually placed a sports bet before. I don't know how. <laughs> <laughs> well, either way, are you familiar with over-unders? Yes, yes. Right. Well, I'm going to ask you. Over-under set at 29 and a half. The number of times... That the word emulsifier appears in <laughs> over. this book. Over. over. <laughs> Going over. For sure. I think oh, 
if anyone has a Kindle version, they can probably do like I uh, have a Kindle version. Find like a search. Oh, you have the Kindle version? Yeah, I have the Kindle version. Let me see if I can. Can search. you like? It's a good question. Yeah, can you search emulsifier and see how many word? times okay, it comes up? Search. The question is, can I spell emulsifier? E. E M U L S I F E I E R, I believe. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay. Now I'm on two devices right? here. E M U L. There's S I M U L S I F I E R. Emulsifier. Go. Let's see. Okay, that Come cannot on. be true. It says zero results found. That's obviously not true. Did I spell it wrong? E M U L. Yes, S I F I E R. That's what I spelled. That's correct. E M U L S I F I E R. What's it? What, what gives? I guess my search is probably just not working correctly on this darn thing. Oh well, I guess we'll have to look it up later. But yeah, he yeah. used it a lot. That was one of the things I was like, "Ooh, Sanderson learned a new word." <laughs> kind of vibes. Yeah, that is it is heavily used, and maybe I just noticed it more because I was like, I didn't know that word coming in, so it's like, oh, my, I'm seeing a lot of this word emulsifier here, and there I are multiple times my days to be of fair, coffee where... drinks where you like you're making like the frappuccinos ah. is like you need something that's going to emulsify. And keep like the, you know, the coffee and the ice and the chocolate syrup and whatever else as is frappuccino consistency and not like where the water separates out and this and that, you know, or any kind of smoothie. You need that like emulsifier that keeps it all together. That's how I, that's where I had my barista days a million years ago <laughs> was where I remember that word from you out there oh, making smoothies well, I learned at home. A word. Xanthan gum is a great emulsifier. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I bet. I bet Navani wishes that she had some. What was it? Xanthan gum. Yep, xanthan gum. I feel like I've seen that in ingredients. Like when you look at the ingredients for something, yeah. it's usually in something like, that would otherwise that? separate. You know, like a drink, like a beverage with lots of ingredients mixed mm-hmm. in. It's pretty common in that. Yeah. Navani, to be fair, Navani explains what emulsifier is at least twice, probably more. <laughs> that's true. And she's looking for an, a, like a metaphorical one, too, at least if that didn't make it any more confusing. <laughs> like, she doesn't literally need an emulsifier. She is she's not needs... making coffee. <laughs> no. She's not making a frappuccino. She's not, I mean, she can make flying warships, but can't invent a frappuccino. Like, come on, maybe she's not a scholar after all. <laughs> Their society will really progress when they have cafes, Starbucks style. <laughs> I searched, yeah, they have airships before cafes. Come on. Yeah, come on. I searched emulsifier, rhythm of war, although I don't know if I, what I was expecting. And I found, for some reason, on Apple Podcasts, it says, I don't know, it's probably a podcast I should maybe say the name of, but... Uh, the Sandersonian Institute of Cosmere Studies, which I imagine wow. is one of those podcasts that covers the Cosmere in depth. Uh, I don't know anything about it, so, uh, you know, 
Hopefully it's a great podcast. Uh, perhaps the emulsifier is the friends we made along the way is the name of one of their rhythm of war discussions. So nice. I feel, a I great feel that way because <laughs> it's a thing that brings things together. I'm glad that friends. we weren't the only ones that noticed that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, I don't know how you could read this book and not notice that, but <laughs> Perhaps you can. Perhaps. Uh, All right. Well, we covered Navani, <laughs> I believe. Is there anything as else best we need as to we say about can. That? I feel like as best as we can. Oh, wait. The results. It pulled up finally. Nemulsifier. Oh, my God. Look at all these results. Um, there's three pages of results. One, two, three, <laughs> four. Oh, most of them have multiple ones. Oil and water can mix if you have an emulsifier. Some stump weight sap extract is a simple emulsifier, she shook the resulting solution. To do this with liquids, I used an emulsifier, but what kind of emulsifier does one use on dot dot dot? Oh my. Yeah, see that's like, that's so part kind of, of why emulsifier it's so, does it one use like on so light. It defies reason. She clearly needed an it's emulsifier. Like she would say emulsifier <laughs> like several times within the course of like two sentences. And you're like, oh, okay, okay. Right, emulsifier, Navani whispered. What? <laughs> we need an emulsifier, Navani said. Something that causes them to... Unfortunately, I can't fathom what such an emulsifier would be. I thought it might be related to counting? sound. Yeah. <laughs> okay, let's count. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. It says 16 it says here. 16. Okay. Which I my bet was off, but I also would say, hey, this is not... Um, this is not uh, foolproof working as the user interface is not giving me confidence that it's accurate, but we have at least uh, some kind of bench line mark here of 19 and it is giving me sentences. So I do feel good about that. So I may have been under, but I mean, I mean, I may have, I may have busted, but uh, that's another gambling thing, <laughs> right? <laughs> Maybe not sports, but, uh, but uh, <laughs> no, that's I, a uh, I, I guess term. I guess I just lost. As is typical with any time <laughs> I try to gamble, so which is why I don't. <laughs> uh, so yeah, what do we? What should right. we talk about? Well, now? I'm Did gambling Navani... that our listeners are uh, sick of hearing about emulsifiers, or maybe they love emulsifiers because they, you know, they read Rhythm of War and probably enjoyed they it. Do. But probably time to move to another character. I mean. So this book is, at least theoretically, like, Venley and Eshenai's book, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's they're the ones getting the flashbacks. I can't I mean, say. He I kind of strays like, away from the format in this one, I feel like. You could argue that yeah. maybe they're like the framing device but it's not quite the same as the other three that we've gotten you know i don't know if you feel that way yeah it, oh i feel totally that way that's why i was like this, theoretically this is that uh, i feel like it's nowhere near the emphasis of on calden and way of kings or uh, right shalon. or shalon and words of radiance right it's like Definitely, that's where we're getting the flashbacks, but I don't know. It's, I think also there's just not as much meat on the bone 
bones for Venley as a character as yeah. those other And it's like, characters. look, you had kind of three main characters and you did them all. And now it's like you're trying to expand the cast a little bit. And you're like, you're digging into the <laughs> C team, man. Like, let's, let's be honest right. here. <laughs> I mean, there's several people. It's like, I this is Ant-Man's book. <laughs> you're like, okay, who cares? <laughs> hey, Ant-Man was a good movie. This, <laughs> yeah. America's it's fair though right. i remember when ant-man was coming out i was like oh wow we're really digging the bottom of the barrel here if we're throwing <laughs> we're throwing paul rudd out there as ant-man you know but, they may have said the same what? thing about iron Ant-Man man was back good. in the day and here we are in a post uh, were they? iron man world <laughs> i mean who knew anything about iron man post before iron. the movie came out you know i guess i don't know I, I didn't feel like at the time people were like what are you doing but it was like the only successful superhero movie back then was like Spider-Man before that. Yeah, you or Spider-Man, you got Batman, Batman movies. Yeah, that's true. But yeah, then now look at us. All anyone cares about is superheroes. That's right. <laughs> we got an Ant-Man like the thir- Ant-Man three we've got in this world that we this crazy world that we right. live in. <laughs> Ant-Man and the Beetle. <laughs> don't don't check that. No. No, Ant Man and the Fighting Dung Beetle. <laughs> That's gonna be Ant Man Four. <laughs> <laughs> don't give him too many ideas. But uh, yeah, okay, true. so we're They'll talking about Venley. We're talking about they'll steal that just like they stole Robert V S Reddick's idea and made mm-hmm. like a billion dollars off of the movie. Oh, more than that. Did that. Yeah, but yeah, exactly. They if you guys, you know. Watch a certain Marvel movie, then read a certain <laughs> Robert V. S. Reddick book, and you you'll read see the Chatherine Voyage about. series. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And Robert, on our show, noted that he came up with that idea a long time before the Marvel movie we're talking about. So. Absolutely. And it's I don't know why we're slandering and... Marvel today. We I came just... at them for bad villains. You know, we we Ant-Man. invoked them talking about tentpole releases and flagship releases, and then we cannot shake them now that we did that. You know, True. I just think that's kind of the scale of book that we're like. This is like you know a Marvel of the book world. You know, it's a huge release, got all these characters, it's a big series. Got its I'll also universe. say like, yeah, that's the thing is. There's clear parallels between the Marvel Cinematic Universe and the Cosmere in the sense that we get overlap in some characters even coming across from different books. Uh, we, uh, I mean, we also have a, a really big moment with, oh my god, I'm spa- is it Nightblood? Is that what the sword's called? Am I spacing on that? There is a sword that? called a- Nightblood, yes. That's the one that kills... Um, yeah the big bad here (laughs) yeah so well yeah does it kill the big bad or does it just change the big bad to terabangian well yeah like the the name that was an interesting thing for me i was like okay this is kind of stretching my reading capabilities here the character's gonna have the same name odin or whatever <laughs> odin that's definitely odium, odium. <laughs> that's odium. A, we're going <laughs> yeah we're going so it's going so well i felt like we hadn't messed up a character okay so here's here's what happens okay so um teravangian's imprisoned okay constantly guarded yes. in the end zeth appears 
Um, and you get this bizarre overlapping things that happen, okay? Teravengian. Okay, Sheth shows up, kills him, okay? And then in the fury, Zeth smashes the gemstones that Teravengian is protecting, which gets Odium's attention. And then as Zeth stabs Teravengian, Odium grabs Teravengian and brings him into the spirit realm. And then Nightblood is also manifest there because it is a being of all the realm, of both realms. And then Teravengian uses the sword to kill Odium, which I believe the, the name is Raze, R-A-Y-S-E. And so <laughs> then the line from the synopsis that I'm reading says, The vast amount of investiture leaves Nightblood sated even as the loosed shard seeks a new vessel and Teravangian accepts the role. So there, that's what happens. I don't know. In my eyes, okay, yeah, so I mean, you kill the guy with Nightblood and you assume the role of Odium, basically, is how I, <laughs> how I see it. We've learned from previous books in the Cosmere, including uh, some that we really enjoy, that these, like, these shards have actual people kind of behind the scenes running them. So it's mm -hmm. just like the same way we've seen that with other characters before. Now we're seeing Teravangian get to like wield the power. So that's, yeah, I can't say I understand all the like bits and pieces about like, I, I know about the different realms, uh, right? Like the cognitive, the physical, and is it spiritual? This other realm. I, I know about those. I don't right. I completely understand why uh, Nightblood is a being of all three of those. But either way, we get Teravangian as the new Odium. I don't entirely understand what the implications of that are going to be. I know Teravangian is like portrayed as this political mastermind. I'm not positive we've seen that in practice really i feel like we've been told it a lot yeah but especially that oh god yeah. that like 10 minute discussion between Teravangian and dalinar in this book i was like oh this is too much for me <laughs> we're just explaining each other's strategies yeah. to each other and i'm like can we let this go and move on please like, i don't know probably my biggest criticism of this book would be just the characters constantly explaining their motives and what they're doing to each other. I don't know yeah. what was going on with that in this book. It feels like, I don't know, it just kept feeling like to me that like Sanderson's alpha readers or beta readers or whatever were writing like, why would Yasna do this? Because she usually is so logical, blah, blah, blah. And then Sanderson, because he's like, very, has a lot of humility and all that stuff was probably like oh i should like explain that that's a good point and then it's like that's happening over and over again where then characters will point out like yasna why are you doing this you're usually logical said who knows dalinar and then <laughs> yasna's like well actually uh, even though i normally would do this it's actually logical in this scenario to do that and it's like i don't care yeah <laughs> So there were points where I was like, okay, like we need a little less explaining what we're doing and why sure. and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, I get it's hard. I've found, cause... and you know, we, we've read these books pretty much back to back, which is not my recommended way 
of experiencing these books because it mm-hmm. starts to feel like too much, at least for me anyway. I've learned through reading pretty much all the Stormlight Archive books back to back that um, it's just epic fantasy may not be 100% my jam, and that's fine. Right. I, I think sometimes once you well, get like 10... I don't know if epic... Yeah, well, I, I, I want to push back on the idea that epic fantasy in itself is not your jam, but maybe just in the form of like extended thousand right. when plus When I say epic fantasy, I'm talking like yeah. Wheel of Time, Malazan, Stormlight Archive. Right. Big, but even big, like Lord big. of the Rings is probably epic That's, fantasy. Yeah, but uh, yeah. So I guess whatever the distinction gets. I get what you mean. Like I'm 12, just trying to clarify. 12,000 page doorstoppers. Like Lord of the Rings is like three, 300 page 12,000. You know, like, <laughs> like it's, it's 12,000 page yeah. <laughs> so there's a there's the kind of fantasy like so. the Malazans of the world, like the Stormlight Archives right. of the world, where I feel like and I don't want to take it away from them because I do believe that a part of the reason they're popular and people like them is because they're written this way. Like the uh, the exchange of ideas, the intense plotting, the intense explanation of stuff, I feel like can be part of the reading experience for these kinds of stories. And it's just yeah, and not... these and these get... remain the most popular series. Oh yeah, which is interesting. Number to me because one when New I York think Times about... bestsellers, right? Number one, and, I, I, and yeah. So we're talking Stormlight Archive, Wheel of Time, for example, best, a Song of Ice and Fire, even. Although I think you'd say that's probably the exception that makes this rule for you. Yeah. I know you're a gigantic fan of that. Yeah, series. it kind of falls so into like I. the weird Harry Potter world too. It's like it's seven books, but it's not like the same epic fantasy realm that I would put into yeah. another series that has seven books or ten books. It's like a different feel to it. Yeah, it's a different yeah. feel. And also, I'll say, Wheel of Time and and Stormlight, you'd still say you're a fan of. It's oh, just yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. When you compare it to There's something like kind Mistborn, like we were talking narrative about, narrative approach. It's like to Stormlight versus yeah. versus um, uh, Game of Thrones, Song of Ice and Fire. There's just something different about it that's more in line with like a Malazan, where it's like the world building and the plotting and having tons of detail right. and embracing that, like the world building for world building sake kind of aspect. I feel yeah. like is a positive, is a feature. For these kinds of stories and I, and I think Stormlight Archive is Sanderson's way to kind of indulge himself a little bit in the parts of fantasy that he really enjoys which is creating the worlds and he's kind of showing you the back end almost as the feature right and it's like okay well to me that's not a feature for a lot of stories I like to assume a lot of stuff and let the characters and the themes take the forefront but like when you have this complex magic system, this complex series of different species and characters and classes and ma- and like all this and that and shards and realms and uh, and strategies and you're like okay, okay, okay. Like I I can picture some people being like wow, so imaginative, so cool, so interesting. I want to know more. Give me more. Like I feel like that's a lot of people who enjoy the story and I, and I do think that that's something that is a advertised benefit of the story but for me it, like to your point like it can be a lot and that's not to say it's bad it is a feature in a lot of cases but it is definitely a style of fantasy that we see um every once in a while and they're usually super popular like i mean wheel of time is one of the most 
popular fantasy series ever and Malazan is a huge like following as well so there is definitely an appeal to it it's just interesting how Sanderson's kind of foray into this you mean he, yeah he wrote the last three books of Wheel of Time but I feel like this is his own story right it's got this magnum opus kind of vibe to it so he's going all out he's explaining everything he's not holding anything back and so it's weird coming from like Mistborn, Emperor's Soul, like Warbreaker, whatever else that we've read of his, um, which is much more condensed, tight, set up, payoff, reading experience, popcorn fun. And then you get into this, which is like, I'm going to unleash the, what compels me to write thousands of pages every year, like onto you, the reader, yeah. through this story. And it's a lot to accept, but um, it's certainly an ex- a unique uh, reading experience for sure <laughs> right and so it's just odd to me that these are the series that seem to be the most popular mm-hmm. when we our literal first episode ever is which i never recommend anyone listen to ever Mm-mm. is Please don't. our welcome slash gateway fantasy recommendations episode and that is yeah and I would never think to recommend the Stormlight Archive as a gateway fantasy recommendation, especially when my favorite gateway fantasy recommendation is sitting right out there as a Brandon Sanderson book, Mistborn. And it's like, I don't know, I just don't, it's odd to me that the books that I consider the most accessible books, while often very successful, Mistborn was very successful, are not as successful as these huge chihuahua killer filled <laughs> epic fantasy series. Mm-hmm. I think, which which maybe doesn't <laughs> the chihuahua killer moniker maybe sounds like I'm saying that there are a lot of characters in it that are chihuahua killers. Um, I mean the books, the we physical call them size chihuahua killers because the they're so yeah. books. That- Falling off could the table kill a ledge, landed on a chihuahua, would kill it because of the sheer yeah. mass of the book. <laughs> <laughs> Which is what Sanderson, so we're not disparaging Sanderson, he literally calls them chihuahua killers sometimes himself. So yeah. it's, uh, anyway. It's a great yeah, it's, it's maybe a like departure. Now. Yeah. <laughs> it's a departure from the conversation we probably should be having right now with uh, Rhythm of War, but it's, always, it's an interesting conversation, always one that surprises me i don't fully understand why the the huge epic fantasy series with a million books in them uh each a thousand plus pages are are the bigger selling ones than something like mistborn that Mm -hmm. is a lot more accessible yeah but anyway rides on the tailwinds (laughs) of sanderson's other work and notoriety and and things like that um but even still, yeah, I feel like it's so deep embracing in the fantasy genre that when people are like, I want to read fantasy, let's go. Like, this is my one shot. I got a two-week summer vacation. I just want to sit and read fantasy. Like, this is, like, one of the offerings, you know? So I see it yeah. in some ways. It, it, yeah, it's just interesting. Um, as we wrap it up here, I mean, what else do we got to make sure we mention? Here? Well, we need to give... We need to give Shallan and Adolin's storyline uh, some attention, and then I think we're probably pretty good on on this. I can't think of what else. Needs I mean, the ending to really be like fleshed the, out. The whole yeah, the, the wit, what the wit odium thing. thing, which I, I don't just don't think I say. understand enough 
about yeah. the, the Cosmere to fully, <laughs> it, like, yeah, to really grasp the ramifications of what Odium did to Wit. Like, I found it interesting, and it kind of, I don't know, it created this sense of impending doom or, like, dread in me, even though I didn't fully understand it. Because Wit's always seemed, like, like, untouchable, is, right? Yes. <laughs> he's got, yeah, right, it's Hoyd. Uh, Wit always seems like the one with all the answers, who's playing everyone else. Not that I see him as having bad intentions or anything. I see him as probably having good intentions. But he's ahead of everyone else and knows more and uh, is 20 steps ahead. Meanwhile, like, Odium finally gets the jump on him in some way by, like, erasing his memories because you're like, uh, um, he's like, oh, if this happens, I'd be really bad. And then you see it does happen. So I'm like, "Uh uh-oh, if Wit thinks this is really bad, this is really bad. But I don't know the specifics of what the really bad is. It just creates this, like, dread in me. Right, right. I agree. And it's interesting that that was the moment that Sanderson had been plotting to. And I was like, man, I wish I could more. Sometimes with these epic fantasy, I I realize I'm kind of maybe stumbling into something that I don't fully understand. And that kind of felt like that moment. Again, we gave you the warning at the beginning, guys. We don't understand, like, the Cosmere 100%. But that didn't take away from the moment being fun because Wit was always this, like, untouchable, infallible, godlike character and then to see him get one upped and have his memories erased you're like okay here we go like this new odium is ready for ready for trouble you know so curious to see where it goes curious to see where it goes yeah me too i'm sure we'll get some payoff for that in the next book but in the meantime let's let's chat a little shallan and adolin it's definitely kind of the b plot i would say of this story not, maybe even uh, the not taking the center stage i don't know what would be b then well you got like Ka- unless you consider kaladin and navani like the same story we also barely talked about the venley ash and i thing but i i don't know um, so she was fighting like her self-centeredness not. she freed yeah relaine and lift and that still wasn't enough and then when she finally like did it for the right reasons it gives me book one vibes where kaladin was like why do we do these things and like because it's the right thing to do essentially and and so that's what she finally right. realized in this book and you're like okay it's well trodden ground what was interesting know, was she was underwater stuff. and couldn't speak the ideals but they were like we get it like you would have spoken them so here you go <laughs> which i was like interesting <laughs> that that can happen that's good to know i suppose Fair game. <laughs> let's right. talk about shadesmar Inland and yeah let's talk about shadesmar Adolin and Shallan go into Shadesmar basically on this mission to get more honor spraying. Uh, well, spraying. I just had a little twang. Give me some more of that honor spraying, spraying I tell you what. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Shallan, better go into that there Shadesmar and get some of them honor spraying. <laughs> That's so funny. I tell you what. <laughs> and that's how we go to get. <laughs> I'm from New York. I have no idea where that like that twang came out for two seconds. But We've all been there. Either way. <laughs> I mean, you live in Georgia now, I'm sure. I'm sure you're pretty used to it. But oh yes. sorry, Georgia. I mean, I don't know. I mean that's it's you speak accent. with southern accents, a lot of you. Mm-mm-mm-mm. Although Atlanta's kinda 
like a transient town. Yes, or that's city. True, you say? The city. You go there to see the aquarium, which is like the molasses rolling off the tongue. (laughs) It's from the office, by the way. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You know, you go to Atlanta to see the aquarium, and before you know it, you got a house, a white picket fence, two kids. It's like (laughs) it all happens so fast. Isn't that the classic story? One of those things. How people end up. (laughs) Have you been? Well, you you forgot about the world of Coca Cola. Got about uh, Chick Fil A, you know those kinds. It's of mostly the aquarium. That's a big. It's one. got a fantastic aquarium. I mean, oh, I've yeah, been like right? three or four times. Yeah, it's got multiple in the same tank, and those are big, big creatures. So, very cool. Yeah, highly recommend. Get out there. But anyway, we are rapidly yeah. approaching time. So whatever we have to say about uh, about um, Shadesmar, <laughs> Shadesmar. <laughs> okay. We better go ahead and do it right Shadesmar. quick. I tell you what. <laughs> Faster than a critter in a prime uh, pain, you know what I'm saying? Yes, yeah, so <laughs> we get this moment. So we get Shalon throughout the book. I mean, I covered some of this when we were talking dissociative identity disorder. Mm-hmm. But it's getting worse, and uh, she's just like bouncing around between these different uh, personalities more yeah, she than loses control. She like personalities before. can force themselves to the forefront. And they're like taking, they're like yeah, talking to each other and they're taking votes and like this and that. Definitely yeah. gets more extreme. It does get more extreme. Uh, it's kind of jarring for me. Uh, I can't say I loved the reading experience of, of dealing with all of that, but uh, it's, I appreciate Sanderson's efforts in that direction. Mm-hmm. Uh, we get Adolin who's struggling with a lot of daddy issues for the most part. He is, I don't know, he's going to prove himself now because he's going to be put on trial for every bad thing a person has ever done. Not quite, (laughs) but almost. He's like being put on trial for what people did thousands of years ago, right? And the Radiants giving up their spread. So he kind of, meanwhile, Shalon's working behind the scenes with, they, um, uh, oh, come on, Dylan. Come on, we can do this. Oh, the ghost bloods. Oh, yes, right? the ghost bloods, of course. Okay, Marais and Marais from the ghost bloods. Uh, kind of ends up not that whole thing doesn't amount to much because she she kind of separates herself from it at the end. Uh, the most interesting part of that is probably uh, at the end, Marais is like, ooh, like the, what's he say, Lord of Scars isn't going to be happy about this. Mm, no, and that might yeah, she does get our spurn ears, the nice Yeah, that might get our ears perking uh, for those of us who are fans of Mistborn. It and, sure does. But, yeah. But otherwise, I don't know. She makes some progress, like we said. She brings Vale in. Um, and Adolin, the coolest part of that was the part where, uh, Mara, I believe is his, uh, M-A-Y-A, sort of dead A Maya? Maya. Oh, so close. I almost made so the whole episode you're, without, yeah. You're, you're doing great. So Maya talks. Maya talks. We chose. We chose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was the coolest part, I thought. <laughs> your thoughts charles um 
Yes, I would agree. I kind of liked... Um, uh, for me, there was a lot of, like, potential espionage stuff. Like, a lot of plots were set up. Like, ooh, someone's the someone's the spy. Or, ooh, we should take out the judge and take his place. And, and then, like, none of it kind of happens. Yeah. So you're like, okay, like, this typical, like, reminds me of Mistborn, where there were these setups, these mysteries. Like, who are these people? Who's this? Who's that? And then it, it kind of pay. I was expecting more of a payoff, and it, it doesn't have to be. It's not a criticism, but it was just like okay. I felt like most of the time I was trying to understand, like trying to unpack the mystery, and there never was one. So it's like whatever. But um, no, I thought it was. I, this to me was obviously the B plot. It was fine. I was more interested in Shalon's like dissociative identity or lack thereof um, in her disorder and facing her truths and her arc more so than Adolin and what color suit he was going to wear into Shadesmar. But, you know, it was still... There is a lot. I feel like Sanderson <laughs> has uh, flanderized Adolin a little bit in this one. Just with the, like, the obsession with clothes and all of that. I know that's always been part of his character, but it felt like it was, like, so constant. So, I don't know. Adolin... I think I called him a nothing burger in a previous <laughs> I episode. Think you did I guess point. him and I could not see eye to eye for whatever reason. So mm. sounds like similar thoughts mm. from you, Jones. Yeah, yeah. I mean he was a good friend to Kaladin before he went off to Shades Mar and he's fun. Um he brings out the more fun aspects of Shalon too, which I always like, but um yeah, it was it was good, you know. You, you got this. The whole thing with the Spren is interesting. His relationship with Dalinar was kind of like on the rocks, and this one I was like, since when? Like I, I thought they were like yeah, it was hard to... buddy buddy in the last book. Like I thought, you know, when Adolin, like my favorite Adolin scene is when from. he's fighting in the arena. Oh, because he killed what's his face like in the last book. But it's like, oh, you killed him. Mm-mm-mm. Meanwhile, <laughs> it's like, comes from what's like the face? Black Death or whatever. Like, give me a break, dude. Yeah, you, can like, we, can we talk you killed about your own wife. <laughs> like, yeah. Don't act all holier than thou. Yeah, that's so, fair. Can we talk the, about how Sadius are taking every, like, L's Sadius. in this one? <laughs> <laughs> Sadius dies, they're like, Amaram is now Sadius. And then Amaram <laughs> dies, and it's like, uh, Sadius's wife is now Sadius. So it's like, <laughs> can we just have no Sadius anymore? Sadii? That's yeah, a Yeah, I feel like we've gone... Sadius. I, I totally feel like um, that old champion, but she that dies like, honor duel. Yeah, she's gone. Thank goodness. Right in the beginning, um, which is nice. <laughs> <laughs> Got her out of the way. Yeah, exactly. So now it's like, okay, I think we pretty much eradicated that line of a potential villainy, but you never know. Um, <laughs> I'm surprised no one else became Sadius after that. Well, there's still a whole other book to go. It's promising to be the biggest <laughs> right. one yet, so we'll see. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's going to be the biggest one? I mean, I don't see. Uh, each one is progressively bigger, right? Like, there's no de- proof. There's nothing like that says that definitively, but I'm just going to assume my over under on the, the twist at the end <laughs> is yeah, Dalinar has been Sadius the whole time. Ooh, that would be something, wouldn't it? Because yeah, and Sadius I, I was found, Dalinar. I found their like and Adolin killed. <laughs> I thought they were okay. so close in trying to navigate the politics of the planes and all that. Like they seemed like 
a team. And then that all just completely fell apart. Maybe I was misreading their relationship, or maybe just the act of Adolin killing someone really rubbed Dalinar the wrong way or whatever, but uh, I was really not feeling the conflict between the two of them. I, I think maybe we just need a little more um, context with those guys, but uh, they didn't really, it wasn't their book to shine. What? What did shine was good. So, you know, the, as for a B-plot, I was okay with it. But, yeah, I thought both dads being like, oh, son, you killed one person. I, I can't love you anymore. <laughs> it's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> you know, both dads. Yeah, that. and when I think when Dalinar first heard the news, he was like, well, that's that's pretty bad, but, you know, we'll be we'll be okay. Like, he heard it in... Like, he can't be king because he, he killed was... one person. <laughs> You're like, okay, yeah. whatever. Or was that even? When did Adolin kill? When did Adolin kill? I think it Thaddeus? was the end Jeez. of the last book it was... because that's why um, Navan, uh, not Navani, um, uh, what's her face, is the queen. It wasn't the end of Words of Radiance. I thought it was the end of the last book where What's-Her-Face becomes queen because the reason she became queen was because Dalinar didn't want to make Adolin king. No, Adolin didn't want to be. Adolin didn't want to be. Uh, yeah, he didn't want it. But I also think something to do with him killing. And I think he told Dalinar in Oathbringer and then Dalinar oh, maybe was so. like, okay. Yeah. Aiden, I'm going to look it up. I think he, he does, Words of Radiance, chapter 89. So then he just kind of holds on to the secret. And there's that whole, like, investigation where Shalon is helping him look for who killed Sadius, but was actually Adolin. Like, that all goes on in, um, in Oathbringer. But, you know, it's hard to keep track when we've read these books pretty much back to back to back. Yeah, yeah. To back. It all kind of blurs together. And, and then, yeah, I was talking about yeah. Yasna, actually. Either I way. I remember her name. <laughs> I'm with you. I don't really quite get the, like, Aelin Downer on the rocks. It's kind of explained as some combination of Downer's not happy about Sadius' death maybe not pumped about Aelin not wanting to be king and also kind of mad that he seems really involved in his relationship with Shallan. Which mm-hmm. is like, come on, Dalinar. Grow up. Yeah, like, dude. <laughs> exactly. you got other things to worry about. You know, you've got a perfectly capable son who's a good guy. Like, he's an adult yeah. now, you know. And I, I did like that. It reminds me of one of the uh, interludes we got of, I can't remember her name, I'm sorry, Kaladin's mom, basically going to the dad and being like, come on, dude, you're being a little unreasonable here. Like, don't I appreciate act like that, as well. that was such a surprise. And maybe this is more your problem than than anything poor Kaladin ever did. You know, think, look at all he's accomplished, this and that. And I was like, that's a great interlude. Like, telling it like it is you know i appreciated that because yeah. man i was all i was like that i was like man <laughs> these dads and these Someone stories are turning the away their sons for no reason but the moms are stepping up moms are between stepping navani up. and calden's mom yeah props okay speak to something while we're yeah yeah last last I got thing a hard stop coming up very quickly so i yeah, know you got know. time though speak your piece my piece is 
Do you notice that Sanderson has like zero bad romantic relationships in his books? Yeah. Well, I mean, he's got... Think of one like romantic relationship that like is toxic in mm, any Sanderson. Well, I don't know. This Wit and Yashna match up. <laughs> They're not romantic, bro. <laughs> and even that know. one is like not necessarily toxic. Not toxic to them. <laughs> Not we'll toxic and not romantic. All right. So how about you name one actual romantic relationship? That well, you know, like Sanderson not... always remains like a, you know, do the right thing, be honest, be virtuistic, be true. Like it, that kind of rings through in all of his books. He doesn't go as far. Dude. Like he's not grim dark, like, you know. I know, but Game even like Thrones. Sadius and his wife have like a very like, healthy Sadius died, they have like a very healthy <laughs> <laughs> Like what is going on here? Well the so mental I don't know. wellness I was just thinking ex- about that. doesn't necessarily extend into the relationships. Like those are fine. <laughs> it's yeah, our self-rooting that is the problem with our characters, not how I we treat each other. It. We treat each other yeah. great. Yeah, uh, I don't know. I've just I was just thinking I'll, about that. I'll keep and an I was eye like, out now because there's so much in it. Sanderson. Yeah, there's so much in Sanderson's work that feels like once two characters get together, they're just like, and now I love you, and we never have any like legitimate issue. You know, there's every once in a while they'll have a little tiff, but for the most part, it's just like. And then Shalon looked at oh, Aileen and she was like, that, I love um, this man I mean, more than I don't know anything if you count else. This in as the a world. relationship, but you've got Navani uh, and her original husband were not a great match. The king, he was mean to her. Okay. That was toxic. Yeah, but it's not a real, it's not an. It happened off, page off camera, but we got the, intro, yeah. we got the opening. <laughs> Sure, but it's still before the events of the book. Yeah, it's not. There's like no an active, active like. Okay, yeah. once characters get together who were not together at the start of the book, that's a guarantee. They're at the start of the series. That's a guarantee that they're good. And the overwhelming majority of characters that are already together are like in fantastic relationships. I don't know. <laughs> well, I know Calvin went through a breakup over the course mm. of the previous year. So, theoretically, yeah. that off-the-page relationship was not great. Yeah. But, we don't but even that, that Calden was like, I really grew from that, and things ended on good terms. <laughs> She's a wonderful <laughs> human being, and I wish her all the best. <laughs> right? Exactly. So, I don't know. Interesting interesting thing I noted, because I was thinking about, like, Joe Abercrombie's relationships. I was like, oh, yeah. that but feels But it's very much true. on brand with Sanderson, though. You know, he's got a style. Yeah. You know, there's many parts of him that are squeaky clean and wholesome, and I think his relationships have always been a part of that. So, we'll see. Yes. I'll keep an eye out, though. That's very interesting. But you know what? I think we've said enough for one day. I'm sorry. Like we said at the beginning, we weren't going to get to all of it. There's a lot here that we We gave you an hour and 40 minutes. But I think we did a good job. You know, I'm happy with this one. Another one in the book. I I really don't think there's anything left to do except play that sweet, sweet outro music. Let's get that sweet, sweet outro music pumping, Charles. You got it. The rhythm of... 
something. I don't know. <laughs> the rhythm of the outro happen. music. <laughs> yeah. Thank you all so much. Trying to much. do something there. You, I appreciated it, man. This is a like a battle drum rhythm war-like song. So yeah. I see where you were coming from. You know, it's a classic. It's the sweet, sweet outro music. you got to love it. And uh, we love you guys. Thank you so much for listening. Um, if you like what you heard today and you want to support the show, go ahead and reach out or just say hi, share your thoughts. Uh, tell us what we got wrong about the Stormlight Archive. That's over on social media. That's uh, at the FTF Podcast on Instagram and at the FTF Podcast with the number one at the end on Twitter. Now, Dylan, if they like what they heard today and they're supporting us on social media, but they want to support us even more, what can they do? Toss five stars to our podcast, which you can now do on Spotify, where most of you are listening. It's just two clicks at the top of the Friends Talking Fantasy podcast feed, and it helps us so much. You can also rate and or review on Apple Podcasts, so we'd love to see a five-star review from you there. We just got one more that I was was sending to Charles yesterday, and it put a smile on my face, and I could just tell Charles was smiling through his text response. Ear to ear, Dylan. Ear to ear. Yes. So thank you so much to that reviewer. And thank you all so much because just listening is more than enough. Really appreciate that. Well said, Dylan. Thank you all so much for listening to this episode. We greatly greatly appreciate it. You all are so awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And as always, folks, go forth and conquer, friends.